The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Uh, we are in for a really wonderful show this afternoon. We're going to have um, two women with us today. At the top of the show, we have our in-house contributor, Tish Squillero. Uh, again, Tish is the CEO and founder of Candor Consulting. She's the CEO of Roadmap, and she's also, also excuse me, the author of Head Trash. And uh, Tish joins us once a month Um to talk about uh, leadership consultancy and and advising and um, her book Head Trash, which is um, a book that she talks about different uh, personality traits, I would say, that affect leaders uh, and people from from all walks of life. And we're going to be talking about uh, individual traits each month. And today we're going to be talking about anger and how that can affect our work. Um, our lives and our leadership. Tish, welcome to the show. Hey, Susan. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm in D.C. today. You're so in D.C. Sunny okay. and warm. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, I never know where you are. I, I, I <laughs> feel like I should put a tracker on you to, to find out where you are. Um, I think my husband has. Has he? He, he should. <laughs> So listen, um, I I was looking through, whenever I know you're going to be on the show, I kind of peruse the book just to kind of refresh myself, um, and you know I'm such a big fan of it. And um, you did mention to me that we were going to be talking about anger today and, and how that can be um, a factor in holding people back or keeping them stuck, I'll say. And one of the, I have a question for you right off the bat. I wanted to ask you, what your aha moment, what was your head trash aha moment um, that kind of precipitated your writing the book? Well, great question. Uh, there was a project that I was working on with a client, and uh, my co-author, Kim Thomas, and I were actually on the project together. And there was this constant battle and struggle for the CEO to make this decision that that, that they had to make. And Finally, after much, you know, you know, coaching and dialogue and discussion, I looked over to Tim after weeks of having these conversations and, and still couldn't seem to break the channel here. I said, what do you think the problem is? And he says, well, you know, Tish, it's all that gobbledygook in his head. It's that head trash. It's just blocking everything. And I said, wow. I said, you know, I can actually visualize the clutter. That's so funny. I said, we should write a book about that because people probably live with this every day. And he looked over, he goes, well, what do you know about writing a book? I said, nothing. I said, for every reason <laughs> now, we probably should write one. So right. I, we wrote the, the book took three years, and it is the seven emotions that cause people, both professionally and personally, to really find themselves at a disadvantage because their emotions took over their thinking. And anger is a perfect and visible one that people sometimes misread. And anger is, is really not just the yelling and screaming. 
which we all do, right? And if you have children or pets, you're doing it more often on weekends than you do during the week, but it is something you can verbally and see. But anger has subtleties to it where it's, you know, people who have resentment and they hold things and they fester them or hostilities and, and regret that they don't ever forget and they hold on to it to later come and, as I call, pounce on someone because they were able to actually finally get people back. So there's many ways in which anger can, can be shown. There's the yelling, but there's also the, 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 verb, the nonverbal, which is the, you know, the, the, the crossing of the arms, the tapping of the foot, the leaning over at a table when you're talking to someone. Those all take on a form of anger, and they all really come from the person's inability to control their emotion on how they feel in that instant. And it's not easy because when you feel anger rising from your toes to your stomach into your head, you can feel that volcano erupting and you have to be able to really pause for a minute and not make it take over. And so anger to me is one of the most challenging because it, it kind of takes a life of its own and it really allows you to show self-control, which, you know, emotions are, are tough when we have that in order. So there are ways that you have to prevent it from reacting. And funny enough, this was my number one head trash. So right. No, well, you shared that with me, and and so I I wonder. Um, I'll ask you what your own personal tips are day to day. But what do you speak to um, executives about in business when they, uh, well, when when you're trying to get them to think before they react? I think that's one of the um, the points that you make in the book is when when you're talking to someone and you're starting to feel angry about what they're saying or doing, you have to really learn to control your reaction and stop and think. Sure, and not cut them off. Exactly. Many times we can feel a debate coming, and instead of allowing the person to finish their thought, one sign of anger taking over is you'll cut them off. Another is, you know, the what I call the poison pen, or now the poison email, which is you get an email or a note or someone calls you and leaves a voicemail that you just don't like. And instead of thinking and creating the right message, you react, right? So you immediately respond and you send something that as you hit send on your computer or hang up the phone from that voicemail, you know damage is a lot greater now that you sent it. Mm. And it's that regret that you have afterwards. So those are forms of where we have to really take what I call the foot and mouth syndrome, take your foot out of your mouth, and learn to not say immediately what comes to mind. And that's part of where anger and the control of that emotion comes from, is to pause and take on certain steps that will give you that breathing room. One is actually pause for a few minutes and, and count to five before mm-hmm. you respond. Right. Uh, the other is excuse yourself if you know that this is not going to go well. So you know what? I'm probably not in the best frame of mind to answer that. Let's revisit it. I need to take a pause and really think about it. I mean, I know I use that with my kids all the time. Right. And I have my own special technique, which is called the magic zipper. It's an invisible zipper that I physically take a, a hand and wipe it over my lips to make sure I close it <laughs> because I can feel my, my response coming, and I know that inside the response is something meaningful, but the way it's coming out, it probably will not be delivered that way. So. I work to that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it really is incredibly powerful to slow down. I, I talk about that a lot on the show, just in general, slowing down. We, You know, we're in such a rush to do everything. I think we often misspeak um, because we're just not taking just, you know, 10 seconds to, to think about what a response should be. 
Um, and also with the slowing down, Susan, something I've learned, and again, we all learn this. No one's perfect, and there are things I do every day that I shouldn't have, and I fix for the next day. So mm-hmm. no one should beat themselves over having emotions taking the best of you because it's a work in progress as right. long as you have a focus. But I also find that when I first read something, my interpretation of it is a little different when I read it two or three times or 15 or 20 minutes later Yes. because I read it more thoroughly. And yes. that has been a tremendous step in my growth And that I was ready to react. And I can remember times when my husband said, did you read that fully? Because I think you missed paragraph two because that's exactly what they said. You're saying they didn't say. So I think the pause and time is to make sure that you're reading or hearing exactly what is being said. Because for people who suffer from the anger, their emotions start to come and, 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 and evolve themselves so much. Hearing gets lost and their filter goes away. Mm-hmm. And you may have started something that really wasn't even in place to start. And so those are some things that you'd really want to watch out for if you start to see that part of your challenge when you're getting ready to face something when the word no is not what you wanted to hear. Right. T- tell us real quick before you go, you, you had a story about a, an experience at a car rental? <laughs> so I, I use this in a lot of my presentations when I talk about head trash, that you know, a sampling of um, having something happen personally is, is just as, as powerful as knowing what not to do at the workplace. We, we were on a vacation as a family, and, I, and I'll never forget this because it really um, showed me what my anger can do, even in the most calm settings, is we got the wrong rental car, and the, the, the gentleman you know, introducing us to our car, I didn't even give him a chance to explain that this was the loaner for the day because the other one wasn't there yet. And I immediately started saying, this is not the car we rented. I booked this eight months ago, blah, 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 blah. And it turned into like five minutes of me just talking without listening. And finally, the guy said, yeah, your other car will be at the um, the place for you when you get there. This was just to move your luggage. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank you. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so look, it happens to all of us. But, you know, if you're wondering if, if anger is one of your head trashes, you can always go to headtrash911.com. Mm-hmm. It's headtrash911.com. There's a quick, free index to take with 20-something questions, immediately you'll get back out of the seven where you may want to take a closer look at which of the seven are part of your process. And excitingly, our second book, Head Trash 2, Dealing and Managing Other People's Junk, comes out April 5th. So we will have a new book available in Barnes & Noble and you know, Amazon where we took our findings from book one where people asked a lot about well, what if I have people I live with that have head trash? Or what if I'm working with someone else who has it? How do I deal with that? I've now recognized my own. Right. But what about the other person? That's right. So the entire book is written in the same sense of humor and easy, basic, practical techniques to use. But this time it's, it's not on yourself. It's on living or working with someone. So we took it also to a personal level. That's terrific. Oh, I'm looking forward to that one. Because none of us well, are without, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Tish. Um, listen, thanks so much for stopping in, and um, we will talk to you next month. That sounds great. You have a great day. All right, you too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Um, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I have a very, very special guest with me in the studio. I'm always thrilled when I have my guests in person across the table from me. We will be hearing from Dana. Is it Cass? Cass. 
Cassie. Cassie Donafree. And she is the owner of Ana Ona Intimates, uh, a company for women who have undergone breast surgery due to cancer. We're going to talk about her, her company, and her story when we come back. We'll be right back. Where does one turn when faced with the devastating loss of hair from cancer or other medical conditions? When Jamie Levin, owner of Wig Elegance, Wigadoo, and Rosalind Stella's Wig Boutique, lost her own mother to cancer in 2009, she and her husband Rob decided to take over the full-service family-owned wig salons to honor her mother's memory. What their company offers is the personal and private experience that men, women, and children deserve at such a difficult time. To learn more about their unique services and warm and compassionate staff at all three salons, such as a free consultation with expertise, full education, private booths, and clean set and cutting services, go to wigelegancewigs.com or call 215-945-4900. That's wigelegancewigs.com. 215-945-4900. That phone number again is 215-945-4900. And ask for your special offer as a listener to the show on selected items such as $50 off a synthetic wig or $100 off a human hair wig. That's wigelegancewigs.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and net. Um, I want to quickly give out our phone number if you would like to call into the show and speak directly with Dana. That number is 888-329-3306. And be sure to visit our website to find out about our lineup. Uh, we are at womentowatch.net, and that's women2watch.net. So I would like to welcome to the show Dana Casse Donafree, who is the owner of Ana Ona Intimates. Uh, again, it's a company for women here in Philadelphia um, who have undergone breast surgery due to cancer. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're finally here. Yes, we me have too. corresponded back and forth a bit, <laughs> and, and I finally got you into the studio. So I'm really honored to have you here and have you share your story, um, not only your personal story and your experience, but also the success you've seen with your company, which I'm so proud of you for. Um, but I'd love for you to start um, to give the listeners a sense of where you came from and who you are, talking a little bit about your years growing up in what you describe as a small town um, in Ohio. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up in the quintessential Midwestern um, Ohio t- farm town, um, which sadly is no longer too much farm, but more right. town. Right. And um, it really was an amazing upbringing. I think that, you know, when you grow up in the Midwest, um, you know, with families that, you know, you're not making a lot of money, you're struggling. And, you know, I had to grow up very quickly. I came from a divorced um, household. And um, so I think my first job was, you know, babysitting the neighbor kids over the summer for, you know, since I was like 12 years old. I think I've been making my own money. Uh, so right early on in my life, I was really ingrained to uh, take control of my own success. And, um, you know, we lived a life. If I wanted $20 to go to the movies or go shopping with my friends, that $20 came out of my pocket. So mm. I really think all in all, it, it formed me into the person that I was throughout my, you know, entire professional career and and now has given me a little bit of that gut check to really take the jump and start my own line. So it was a good foundation building um, as you grow up. And uh, I had two entrepreneurial parents and uh, my mom started her life a little bit later. 
um, started her own accounting firm, and um, and my dad was always his his own boss. So I I was really molded into um, this sort of lifestyle and uh, thought processes. You know, it really is different. An entrepreneur is thinking about their business 24-7, mm-hmm. um, which is the downside. The, the wonderful part, of course, is that you have the freedom to, to choose to do what you want when you want, um, as opposed to working for a big company and um, having the security of the 9-to-5, but really not knowing, you know, whether you're going to have that. Um, tell me what you had mentioned in your bio about growing up in a small town, and I wonder what it was about that experience that kind of stays with you today in your business I or think, in your life. Yeah, yeah. I, I, life and business. You yeah. know, I, I think that you just, you know how to work hard. And, you know, I, I mean, I grew up on, on the edge of the generation that was really starting to get, you know, Internet focused. And I, and I just kept hearing from a lot of my bosses, oh, you know, you're not like everybody, you know, you're not like your peers. You know, you really go to the grind. You really work hard. You get your, you're not afraid to get your hands dirty. I mean, even in my top executive level as a VP, you know, I, I never would ask my assistant to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. Yeah. And I think that style of management and that style of working really continued to grow me professionally because I, I gained a lot of respect from, you know, my coworkers and from my peers and, of course, you know, from the people that worked for me because if I asked them to stay till 9 o'clock, I was right by their side staying till 9 o'clock with them. And, you know, it was never that I was, you know, better than they were because I had a higher level position in the company and I could leave at 5 and they could stay till 10. I, you know, I took it all as a team and, you know, all of our hands got dirty together. Yeah, so. you led by example. Exactly. Which is the best way to do it. Yeah. yeah. So I understand you went on to SCAD, which mm-hmm. for those listening is the Savannah College of Art and Design, which my daughter graduated from as well. She's um, living the dream in New York as a photographer. And um, I, I, so I'm familiar with that school and that environment. And of course, it's full of creative um, kids, uh, students from all walks of life. And I wondered, you know, when you entered into the university, um, did you struggle at all with any type of insecurity being around so many other talented, creative people, or did you kind of quickly find your way? Yeah, you know, SCAD to me was, um, I was a fish to water there. I, I really struggled as I was getting older, um, growing up in a small town, because I, I wanted more exposure. I wanted I knew the world was bigger than my tiny little town in Ohio, yeah. and I wanted to meet different people. I wanted to meet people with different cultural backgrounds. It just that was what was so interesting to me. So when I got to SCAD, um, wow, 16 years ago, it goes fast. Right? <laughs> it goes fast. Um, you know, it, I think at that point in time, I mean, they were still a small university, and uh, 51% were foreigners. And so I really didn't have a lot of friends that were even from America. And that was just, I was just so excited about that. I was just sucking it all. Very diverse. It was very diverse, and I I just loved it. And, um, of course, you have insecurities as an artist. I don't think that that will ever go away. I mean, you know, I think about launching my first line for Anna Ono. I just thought... What if nobody wants to dress like this? You know, this is this is going to be horrible. I don't care how how badly the women want it. If they don't think it's pretty, they're not yeah. going to buy it. Right, right. And you know, you're up against a lot of that in an art school. I mean, there are some extremely talented artists that you're you know you're in class with. You're sitting side by side, and you oh my you know my idea my drawing isn't as pretty. But I think in the end, um, especially for the community that that SCAD built, uh, we were all very supportive of one another. And they really encourage you to understand peer uh, uh, criticisms, 
Right. So yes. you critiquing ha- was a daily occurrence. The critiquing it? was a daily occurrence, yeah. and it, and it really <laughs> helped make me the professional that I you know I that I was in my career. You know, being a director of design and going into a massive retailer account and somebody saying could have been my favorite yellow shoe, but they hated the yellow shoe, and I had to suck it up and I had to either believe in it enough to enrich their opinion and change it, or I had to say, okay, thank you for your thought. Let me go back to the drawing board and let me get you something new. So it, it yeah. really did help encourage me to take criticism uh, productively, yeah, which is that, huge. That's a great, yeah, that's a great skill. And I think, you know, there's a difference between kind of being creative for fun and being creative in a career. You have to always be coming up with, you know, new ideas. So there's a little bit more pressure there for you as a designer. Um, I, I understand you did work for several years in, in some uh, at some high-label companies. Um, anthropology was one of them, mm-hmm. I believe. Tell me, you know, that's an interesting industry, um, and there's some difficulty there. I think probably speaking directly to the, you know, the critiquing that goes on. Tell me what are some of the lessons you learned um, from those years that you both use in a positive way now and perhaps what some of those challenges were? Yeah, I mean, that you know, my biggest bulk of the career, my career was um, in a high-end fashion house in New York City, um, Kaufman Franco, which is an amazing high-fashion women's apparel line, and they do beautiful, beautiful work, and they have a very strong history in the fashion world. And um, it was a total honor to work for them and with them and be a part of their design process, understand how they were really managing and running a company. Uh, so I really say that that's where I went to school. And um, I learned so much. I learned about sales and merchandising and production and sourcing and just a a ton of tools. But it's tough. Um, You don't work 40 hours a week. I think, you know, you're constantly on call. Uh, When Asia works 12 hours ahead of you and you need to answer an email Mm -hmm. at midnight so you get your stuff the next day. I mean, that's, that's the demand of the industry. And, you know, I mean, it can get exhausting. But I was in my 20s. I loved it. You know, energy is at surplus <laughs> at, that <laughs> at, that point in, yeah. at that point in time in your life. <laughs> right. Um, I, I can't say that I have that anymore. But, uh, you know, I think that that's it, – it really helped mold me, and it did allow me to take on a certain level of stress and um, really learn that my strength of where I'm at professionally is that I can wear a million hats at once. And um, so when I did move to Philadelphia and I, I did a stint at Anthro, um, I didn't end up staying there long because I, I had a really – great offer from my old company as, as things were growing, but they're very corporate and, and you wear one hat there. And, and that's when I realized that wasn't who I was as a person. And, you know, I always had this dream because every fashion designer has an ego, right? Every fashion designer wants their own line. That's why you do it. Yeah. And, um, and I kind of just said, you know, I've been working so hard, you know, to put other people's, you know, for other people's name on the wall. Like one day I'm going to do this for myself and, um, I, but I, my career was great. You know, I, I always fell into these very entrepreneurial sort of fashion houses where I was almost working like my own business. Uh, so it was very satisfying. And, you know, as crappy as it is, you know, cancer did give me my dream and, and gave me that line where my name is on the wall. So yeah. I'm, I'm really thankful for my experience and everything I've learned throughout my career to really have the tools to, to do this appropriately. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned cancer. Let's talk about that day that you got that diagnosis. I mean, that is, that's a life changer. 
And I wanted to know if you could kind of express what was going through your mind that day. You were you were young, 27? It was um, the day before my 28th birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just hit six years in February, so it's still very fresh right yes. now. And, um, and it's, and it's interesting as well because I was also diagnosed two months before, um, our planned wedding. And so we had to postpone our wedding and, um, my fiance and I, and, um, we're coming up on our five-year wedding anniversary in May. Yeah. Thank you. So it was devastating. I mean, I thought I was going to die. Um, I think that, you know, even being diagnosed six years ago, you didn't really know if people survived cancer or or breast cancer and um, the advancements that the medical community has made uh, just since my diagnosis date is astronomical and they're going to keep going and I think that that's really encouraging and now that I've hit that five-year mark I feel stronger I feel prouder I feel ready to conquer the world because there was five years of my life I, I didn't know if I would be here for the next one and that's a really scary place to live. Um, what kind of cancer were you diagnosed with? Uh, so I did have uh, breast cancer, and I was diagnosed at stage one. And um, I was uh, HER2 positive, which they've been I- to, able to identify as a form of the breast cancer uh, that 15 years ago was, was deadly. Um, there wasn't really a treatment, but they came out with the Herceptin, which um, I was able to take. And, and my doctors told me very early on, oh, stay off the Internet, because if you Google what her too means mm-hmm. you're you're going to think that you're dying, but right. you're not. So well, and the mindset, how important is that? Your mindset during that time? Oh, uh, frightening. I'm like, well, what do you mean? If I go to Google, it's going to tell me I'm going to die. Like, uh, you know, to a 28 year old, that's really impactful. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. you haven't you haven't lived a fraction of your life yet. Yeah. So, listen, Dr. Beth Dupree is on the phone. Oh, I would fantastic. like to say hello, Beth. Welcome to the show. I've been listening to you guys the whole time as I'm sitting here on the computer. And uh, I know I got I missed getting to meet you. I think you came to our um, 45 office with um, my genetics counselor. I did. You- yeah, I did a, a big presentation for all the surgeons and survivors and nurses. Um, we had a really so great time. They love, love, love you. Oh, thank and you. I, I mean, I number one, your eyes are piercing. When I when I popped your picture up on the internet, I'm like, oh my god, what a beautiful soul. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, Clearly, one of those women in life who their diagnosis um, was meant to send you on a different trajectory to make a difference in the world and not to stop you in your tracks. Um, so I give you a ton of credit, and um, I have so many young patients like you that, are, you know, like in their early 20s, like 22, 24, 26, 28, when they're diagnosed, and I have to say that there's there's this spark in you millennials that. Um, when you are hit with adversity, you kind of like grab it and go, okay, I got the tiger by the tail, and I'm just going to like whip it around and don't let it get in my way. So I, um, I'm really proud of what you're doing. I love I love the work that you're doing, and uh, I am just bummed that I wasn't here to meet you personally. Yeah, but now I have time. to meet you personally. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, I think it's going to happen. At some point, I think you're both going to cross paths, you know, be it some event together or, you know, some type of uh, organizational happening i see it happening yeah and i i do have to say you know that my i have some very close friends who were very young when they were diagnosed and my one girlfriend julie um was on the herceptin trial just so you know she was diagnosed almost 15 years ago and um she lived in hawaii at the time she was one of my college roommates she could be listening she's a flight attendant she's all over the place but um you know at the at that point she had a tiny tumor with one little you know one little fleck in the in the lymph node and 
um, I convinced her to go on the trial. I said, Jules, you got to do this. And, of course, she got randomized not to get the Herceptin. But at the time, we didn't know. You know, we didn't know what we didn't know. And in the end, the trial ended early because the women that got the Herceptin did so much better than the women that didn't. And so she was in that window, you know, like six months after chemo, her port's out. I go, hey, Jules, I got some good news and some bad news. And she's like, what? I go, the good news is you get to take Herceptin. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, well, the trial shows that there's a difference. I said, you were randomized not to get it, so, you know, you can get it now for the next year. And, you know, and and the other good news is you're not going to lose your hair, but the bad news is, like, you need to get your port back or you need to have good, you know, good veins for access. And she never looked back. She never complained. She never said, no, I'm not going to do it. She said, if you tell me that this is going to help me grow old, I'm in. And, you know, 15 years later, here she is, cancer-free, healthy, wonderful. And so I have to applaud all of our patients who did that trial that gives us the opportunity to give that drug to you and so many other women and men as a first-line treatment when their tumors have what we call HER2 positivity, which it's, it, it actually stands for human epidermal growth factor. It is a, it's on the cell surface, and some people express it and some people don't. But before we knew that, we didn't know that we could actually block it. So it's a big deal, and, you know, you're you're in this to win this, girlfriend. Yeah, and thank you to, to Julie as she's listening. I mean, those women have saved many, many women's, of li- women's lives. So um, I applaud right alongside with you. So how did you start your company? I know I, I was reading everything on the Internet. I know you're a designer. I, I've been listening to the story with you guys talking, but, like, that's like a leap of faith. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was scary. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, not not as scary as cancer was, but um, a, a close second to scary in, in my life. And, um, you know, I, I tell people I, I must have woken up in a hot flash induced calling in the middle of the night. And um, I kind of just asked myself, I said, you know, I, I, I feel so bad about myself. I feel so not confident. I am ashamed and afraid to show my body to my fiance. And, you know, all I do every day is I let this mold the way the rest of my day is going to go. I I wake up, I get angry um, because the fact of dressing myself has become so difficult uh, that all I could find was a sports bra and putting that underneath your, your boardroom jacket to go, you know, design a line or introduce a line to somebody just isn't the, the confidence boost that you need in the morning. Yeah. And, um, and I just said, you know, I, I, I'm constantly, this is, this is now running my life and this is not okay. And that's when I said, I think I need to do something about it. And, and that's what I did. And I just, I, I jumped up. I started talking to every survivor, every woman I could possibly meet that had undergone surgery. And, um, I just said, do you have a problem? Do you have a problem wearing a bra? And everyone just floods and floods of information about how awful it was. So that's when I really knew I was like, I'm a designer. I'm young. I'm fashionable. I can do this. And, and that's where it really started. That's, that's always the key. No, knowing that you have the ability Right. Yeah. Um, listen, Beth, you can hang on if you want. We're going to take a quick break. Okay. And when we come back, we're really going to dive into um, the company and another organization that Dane is working with. We'll be right back. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound 
that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Where does one turn when faced with the devastating loss of hair from cancer or other medical conditions? When Jamie Levin, owner of Wig Elegance, Wigadoo, and Rosalind Stella's Wig Boutique, lost her own mother to cancer in 2009, she and her husband Rob decided to take over the full-service family-owned wig salons to honor her mother's memory. What their company offers is the personal and private experience that men, women, and children deserve at such a difficult time. To learn more about their unique services and warm and compassionate staff at all three salons, such as a free consultation with expertise, full education, private booths, and clean set and cutting services, go to wigelegancewigs.com or call 215-945-4900. That's wigelegancewigs.com. 215-945-4900. That phone number again is 215-945-4900. And ask for your special offer as a listener to the show on selected items such as $50 off a synthetic wig or $100 off a human hair wig. That's wigelegancewigs.com. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, by the way. I often forget to introduce (laughs) myself. Um, And we are having a wonderful conversation this afternoon with Dana Cassie Donafrey. She's the owner of Ana Ona Intimates, um, a company that she developed and started um, to provide intimate wear for women who have gone through breast surgery. And... um, one of the questions you and I were talking before the show and at the break about the numbers of young women who are being diagnosed mm-hmm. with breast cancer. And I always want to know whether you're a doctor or a layperson or, like you, someone who's been through it, what are your own personal views on, you know, why do you think we're seeing so many young women? Yeah, I mean, that was a, a really big deal to me. I, you know, I'm, I'm no doctor by any stretch of the imagination. And um, when I was diagnosed at 27, I was told, quote, unquote, that it was environmental. Um, I didn't have a, a strong enough genetic history, um, even though I've gone for all of the genetic panels because, you know, they, you know, doctors in the medical community want an answer. Um, but I think our answer, sadly, is, is much bigger than that. I really dove into why is cancer happening to people everywhere and, and why America so much with breast cancer and, and so on and so forth. And, and I really educated myself on, um, you know, our quality of life and our mm-hmm. day-to-day life. And it, it's scary. You know, our, our food is, is not good for us. 
Uh, we're not doing things that are right for our bodies. And um, I'm, I'm fortunate. I've always lived in a big city. So clean eating or organic or sustainable foods ha- have been in access to me. Um, but, you know, going to my home in Ohio or traveling to other parts of the Midwest, it's not as easily accessible. So mm-hmm. it's scary that, you know, what we do feed our bodies turn turn into different issues down the road for many things, diabetes, cancer, so on and so forth. And mm-hmm. and it's just, um, it, it's sad because we're not taking note of that, I don't think, as loudly as we should be. It's, um, I love you. You are so <laughs> smart. You are so smart for being so young. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's, it's, it's a crazy. challenge. crazy. People don't realize it. Lifestyle mm-hmm. matters. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sue, how many times, Sue, how many times have you and I talked about this? Yeah. When I say, you know, people are looking for a vaccine, they're looking for the magic pill. And I said, we need to rewind this whole thing and go back to fix the things we can. Change, you know, food is medicine. You know, change how we eat, how we stress, how we exercise, how we live. And you get it. You get it already. So yeah, it's a there huge, you go. It's a huge part of, of just facing cancer because um, I, I've recently started to see an integrated medicine doctor. And oh. um, I really strongly believe that that should be a part of our treatment because um, he has educated me on what foods are anti-inflammatory because my medications make me hormonally inflamed and what does cancer love inflammation so you just put yourself in this vicious hamster wheel and you just keep spinning around and around and I've been on this diet for a very short time I don't even call it a diet I call it a new way of life right it's my new meal it is not a diet it's a lifestyle it's my lifestyle from here moving out I tell you what four weeks I stopped chemo five years ago this is the best I have felt since chemo five years ago, and it's about, I just it's about eating found and it. living clean. Mm-hmm. You're, I'm sure you started eating and living clean. Yep. And uh, you, do you know that my my, my three of us, three of the four of us in our practice are all board certified in integrative medicine as well. Did you know that little fact? Ah, oh, that's amazing. Then I, I love. And that. do you know why? Because, because of this. <laughs> we see beautiful young girls like you, yeah. and all of our patients are beautiful, and the men. They're all all of our patients are amazing, and we know that we can fix the cancer that's sitting there most of the times. But if we don't change the environment, if we don't change the building blocks that your body has to build on, that we're just setting up for more diseases, whether it's cancer or diabetes or some other malady. But you get that, and I love that you get that, and you're messaging it. And so what a great day for me because you get this. <laughs> she's Yeah, she's figured it out. I was like, oh, I, ho- I hope Dr. Dupree's not cringing on the other side. No, are you kidding? This Never. is what she's all about. She travels the world to, you know, to educate Perfect. people. Here's a question I want to throw out to both of you, though. Not though. This is just interesting and fascinating to me. Recently, uh, my husband showed me an article about, and you may have seen this in uh, the news, Beth, that uh, they found cancer in mummies from thousands of years ago and uh, I, I can't recall what co- it was not in the US it was you know in another country I can't recall where it was but and the fact that they had found that pre-modern day what does that what does that tell us well here's here I have a, an opinion about this because yeah, I actually go. said something extremely eerie to my mother so my my mother's best friend was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was um, in her late 40s So I must have been in my teenage years. And I said to my mother at that point in time, I said, Mom, isn't it weird how grandpas and grandmas used to get cancer and now your friends are getting cancer? I said, I think we're going to get cancer in our 20s and our 30s. 
And she looked at me like, how, how did you see that? How, how did you get that? And it was really bizarre because I, I don't think, and again, I, I'm not a doctor, right? So this is just my opinion from, from research. I don't think that cancer didn't never exist. I think we're speeding up the process. So, I think that we've dropped our body, our body's immune surveillance has been beaten up so much from our lifestyle and the stuff that we do that cells that used to get chomped up by our immune, our own immune surveillance are now being able to come to life way before they should. Yeah, it makes sense if a, a 70, 80, 90-year-old person yeah. gets cancer because their bodies are breaking down over time. Okay. They've lived yeah. a very long time. I but now that that way. We're yeah. allowing that breakdown m- much, much sooner in our yeah, lives. Interesting. And I mean, so that's that's one of the theories. I mean, we all have cancer cells floating through our body. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of how much immune surveillance we have. And just like, um, Dan, I'm sure that your doctor has you eating a diet that is really boosting your immune function and decreasing your inflammation because if your body's inflamed, you're fighting the infl- inflammatory process, so you're not able to kill all those other little cells that could potentially be cruising around. And it's, I mean, it's a simple, it, it can be as simple as that, that we just don't have the same immunologic surveillance that we had decades ago, yeah. and our DNA just is not tough enough to, to make it past. You know, we're, we've changed so fast that our DNA hasn't caught, not, caught up either. Yeah, well, you're, that's, that's interesting. You're both saying the same thing then. Uh, you know, that's a good point. That's a really good point, and, and it helps me make sense of it, you know. Um, and, of course, I, I always believe that in addition to, you know, the, what we're eating and, and lifestyle, that stress is just huge. Stress you know, is so huge. So much of the mind over matter, I think, is important to um, talk about and then, you know, remind ourselves day well, you to look day. at what's, what stress, I mean, stress bumps your cortisol. Cortisol's fight or flight. And if your body is going around in a, in a constant state of frenzy, how healthy is that for you? Yeah. Yeah, David, I, I, do you I do do you do any yoga, meditation, mindfulness? What do you do for yourself? Yeah, I, I do mostly um, yoga and Pilates. Um, I, I'm interested in learning more about meditation and, and forcing myself into into that route. But I had um, actually a very horrible stomach ailment in New York City um, when I was working in my high fashion career. Ah. And I went to the doctor, and he goes, "Well, what's your level of stress from from one to 10? I said, "Am I allowed to say twelve?" Oh, that's and, not good. <laughs> and he goes, okay, so so let's work on that, yeah. you know, because it's probably stress-related. But I think, too, you know, especially with millennials, we're up against a different type of stress. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely, definitely our worlds do not shut off. Right. They're yeah. constant. Right. You don't get, unless you really force yourself into a downtime, which is sometimes hard to do but is necessary, it's a struggle to find that balance because you're on socially – you're on mentally, you're on physically. Um, it, it's just a different demand, you know, as our culture is changing. It is. Um, how, how to keep up. It is. But, but, you- but it's, not about, it's not about finding balance. It's about creating the balance. You, you're not going to find a box of balance in your cupboard in your kitchen. <laughs> right. You no. Do they and, sell that? Because I would like, yeah, to. You know, I'd I, like to purchase that. I know, but, but it's, it's, about, it's about learning to and, – and I, uh, it's easy for me to say because I just came off of several weeks of – Undoing it, and I will tell you, my my meter for the iPhone, the stress, the connectedness, the crap, my 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 crap meter has changed. It's um, I can't tolerate the same stuff that I did three months ago because I allowed myself to go to that place of bliss. And and it, at the end of the day, when we create bliss in our life, when you have happiness and joy, and and I am sure that you know in your marriage and your work, like even though there's work related things. There's, there's got to be a time when some young survivor is 
sending you a note or something to thank you for making them feel good and feminine and comfortable in their own skin. And that's that bliss. Like that's that place where you go, okay, I'm doing the right thing. But so many people never find their bliss. They're just on the ha- they're on the hamster trail. They're on the uh, that circular wheel that the hamsters go on all the time, and they never come off. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, thank God there's, you know, women like you and there's women like Dana and there's shows like this. And I think the, the conversation is being had more than ever. And that's all we can do. Try to help other people to, you know, stop, slow down, pay attention to what they're doing and and realize that you, you can choose. You have a choice every day. I say that to my kids all the time. You can choose this or that. You know, it's it's so, it's free will. <laughs> so Dana, I want to know what your bliss is. What brings you to that state of where you just feel that tremendous sense of peace in your heart? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really amazing question. I think that I probably am still seeking it. and um, But I do have to say, you know, cancer reset my crap meter for sure. Oh, see? I love yeah. it. You got the see, you got the email. Yeah. You you know, you got the tap on the shoulder to, to reset it because how crazy were you in your design life in New York beforehand? Oh, I mean, it, it was maddening. And my, my entire career path, I was traveling, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles a year. I was just go, 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 go. I mean, you could never like fit in a vacation. God forbid you take seven days off of work. And, um, and I think that, you know, I, listen, cancer, right? That's just 100% <laughs> the truth. And, Oh, probably have to beep that out. And, um, but you know, I think that at the end of the day, it can teach you a lot about yourself. You know, it's, I, I don't like that I got that reality check at 28 years old, but honestly, I needed that reality check at 28 years old. And I think um, you're an old soul though. I, I look at your eyes and I see an old soul that was just, that just needed to come out and, uh, and, and, and like see the world because you, you do not have the wisdom. Of a of a 28 year old that's now five years into her diagnosis, you're an old soul that got a life experience because you were on a trajectory to change how things happen. Because you get it, you're like I mean I I got lots of patients in this age group and you you totally get it. Yeah, it's um it's it, you know and I'm I'm finding my bliss. I think that that still is a big part of my journey. I mean you said it perfectly. I mean some of these letters and stories I get from women of just how a small piece of their life has changed um, because they feel good about themselves. I just you know it gives me that warm bubbly feeling you know in my heart that I'm just like wow this is this is why I'm I'm slaving away to start my own business. This is why you know I might lose a Saturday or Sunday to packaging little pretty boxes or, or shipping out orders because the woman on the other side is is really having one of the best days of her life. And there you go. That to me is just unbelievable. Well and that's, that's what it is. So it's not not necessarily the entrepreneur being an mm-hmm. entrepreneur and having a business. It's that you're making a difference. That will always be the thing that gives you bliss when you when you do something meaningful for someone else. Right. Right. Um, and I want to make sure that we talk about Jill's wish speaking to that because you do um, give 10% of all of your um, purchases to an organization that's very near and dear to your heart. Talk about Jill's wish for a few minutes. So uh, Jill's wish was founded by a stunningly beautiful um, woman named Jill Conley who was diagnosed in her early 30s. Um, She went into remission for about a year, and um, her cancer came back stage four, um, started metastasizing throughout her body. And um, sadly, we just lost her in February to the disease. And um, she knew she was dying. 
uh, for several years, she knew she was dying. And um, we became very fast friends. She modeled in all of my campaigns. Mm-hmm. And she has this beautiful story of a documentary um, filmed by Sue Bryce uh, of her in Paris, just kind of doing this, you know, last hurrah um, in this amazing gown. And, and she's just that lovely, inspiring woman that, like, everybody wants to know and everybody wants to have as their best friend. And I'm incredibly thankful that she was mine and my sounding board. And she launched Jill's Wish just as I was launching Anna Ono. So um, to bring us both together was like a no-brainer. Um, and I, we're so thankful because being diagnosed at 27, cancer is expensive. It does not mm-hmm. come free. And a lot of people don't realize that. And um, we used our entire wedding fund to pay for my cancer. So I was 27. I had to go to work. We were living paycheck to paycheck. You don't have more than a couple hundred dollars in your savings account. That just doesn't You're just float starting it. out. You're just starting, your, you're just starting your life. So what we do at Jill's Wish is we um, give $1,500 grants to um, families that are struggling to pay their bills, like their electricity mortgage, car payment, whatever that may be, so that way they can gain a little bit of traction and, and really focus on their recovery and their families. What's the age range for the you know the members? Um, we don't have any um, age restrictions, okay. um, but we do have um, some limitations on household income and um, diagnosis period and, and timing and, and things like that. We want to make sure that we're able to help the, the families that are really getting, you know, are suffering from the increase of medical bills um, during that moment. And, um, you know, a lot of a lot of stage four patients um, really are reaching out to us because they're in constant treatment and it can get very costly. So if I were to add, what, what is the mission of Jill's Wish? So we want to help support women so they can focus on recovery in their families. And we do that by doing that financially. Just financially. Okay, mm-hmm. but I thought it was just for for young women and young men, but it's not. Yeah, actually, we opened it up. Um, we did start just focusing um, on younger women, but, you know, it, it was just, you know, I mean, some women have kids in their 30s and 40s, and we just felt like we wanted to try to help as many families yeah, as we can. So, sure. we, so we brought in the uh, requirements a little bit just to, you know, really get our reach out there. Yeah. And, um and we're on jillswish.org. Uh, beautiful have... site. Oh, my God, what a gorgeous website. Oh, thank, oh. You. thank you. I, I also what had a, a hand in that. What a beautiful woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you're a creative. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, her, her theory and her um, kind of tagline was rock what you got, and she just really put out a message that, you know, cancer will not strip away um, your inner self. And you might struggle a little bit throughout that process, but, you know, you get out there, you rock what you got, and you keep going. Yeah. And so that's been a, a very strong motto for me and throughout, you know, being by her side as uh, she went through a, a ton of medical treatment and her ups and her downs and and just being um, an amazing, inspirational role model in my life. Yeah. You know, there's another organization that's local to Philadelphia, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, uh, amazing group of women, um, and I know that you do a lot of work with them as well. Talk, talk about that for a few minutes. Um, yeah, so I also give um, a percentage of sales to Living Beyond Breast Cancer, and um, my relationship with them is, is very important because I, I've been volunteering with them um, since I moved to Philadelphia. And I kind of spoke about this earlier where I was told by my doctors to stay off of Google, right, because the information I was going to find out about being HER2 positive was not was not keeping up with real life. Mm-mm. And why I was so re- attracted to living beyond breast cancer, because they actually have trusted information that 
comes from the source themselves. Doctors give the information. Scientists give the information. Researchers, um, breast cancer survivors, if it's something personal. So you're really getting direct from the source education. Mm -hmm. That's so important. So important. So you can trust it. Right. So if I want to go on Living Beyond Breast Cancer and say I'm HER2 positive, I can really understand what that means. Mm -hmm. Or if I say, wow, my my plastic surgeon has offered me a a depth flap or a lat flap. You don't know what those words are when you're diagnosed with cancer. And it gives you at least education, illustrations, pictures. You can really kind of pull and draw information. So uh, they trusted resource. A trusted resource. Yeah, Marisa Weiss, Weiss, who is a a local, she's a local radiation oncologist, breast cancer survivor herself. Mm -hmm. You know, living beyond breast cancer was her her brainchild, as well as breastcancer.org, which is an organization. I'm on their advisory board. Uh, Yet another, I mean, I... You need to go to trusted sites, and um, breastcancer.org is probably the one site that's internationally known, and Marisa and her mom had everything to do with living beyond breast cancer, and now breastcancer.org is kind of Marisa's, that's her child, that's her, her, I guess her, I think she's got three kids, her fourth child, I don't know, (laughs) Um, but it is, it's something that she's so passionate about because getting the right information out to patients, and I'll tell them, don't go to other sites, like these are where you're limited, and you got good advice, Dana, to go to the right sites because you can find, you know, I, I say all the time to, to my patients when someone comes up and they start to say, hey, I stop them right there and say, if this story doesn't have a good ending about breast cancer, please don't continue because <laughs> yeah. you don't, the last thing you need to hear is somebody's bad story. You want to hear the good stories. You want to hear the good things. You know, you want to hear about my girlfriends and my patients that, you know, I'm celebrating the 52nd birthday of one of my patients who was diagnosed at 28. And she's like, can you believe I got this old? I'm like, yeah, thank God. Hello. Um, welcome to the 50s. Like, you know, when you when you start with people very, very young, and now I'm in going to their weddings and their kids' weddings. I mean, I th- so I think I told you, I went to one of my patients was 30, 32 at diagnosis and at her daughter's uh, wedding when she was 28, I bawled my eyes out because I remember sitting in my office looking across the table at her, at, you know, she, her daughter's in second or third grade, her little girl's in kindergarten, and I looked at her and I said, uh, I said, Mike, Marlene, you're going to dance at your kid's wedding and I'm going to be watching you. Like, you That's have cool. to see that. And then there I was on City Line Avenue and they're all fine and I'm a blubbering idiot. Like, I am bawling my eyes out. <laughs> Because I was actually at the wedding, and I said, oh, my God. I, it, that, it was like, you know, 20-some 20, 20 years later, and there I was. Yeah. So That is the good those stuff. The, that's the good that's stuff. That's the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, listen, I want to make sure we talk about Ana Ona and the company and, you know, what you're doing um, and what your future goals are. I mean, again, it's um, for the listeners, it's a, it's a company that designs intimates for women. We have about five minutes, four minutes left. Talk, you know, tell us what it is and what your plans are in the future. So here's my practice pitch, right? You yes, said four minutes. No. <laughs> Go. Give us it. Um, so I, I launched Anna Ono um, in May of 2014, and I really launched it, you know, with with my own bout with breast cancer. That was the inspiration. I was young, I was fashionable, I couldn't find apparel or intimates that fit me. And that was the brainchild. So when I really launched, I, I had a big focus on, on the young community and um, – and on women that had had reconstruction because that was what I was used to. That's what I was exposed to. And I quickly changed my path um, once I started meeting more women because beauty has no boundary. 
um, by age or size. So uh, it's been really an amazing journey to dress women of, of all ages, and we started carrying um, Increase to a Plus line, uh, which has been a, a really great extension um, because, you know, we all get breast cancer, um, different sizes and shapes. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been going really well. And I think that, you know, the women are really reacting because of, of the emotional feeling that they can kind of find their new normal-ish mm-hmm. after cancer, which is great. And, and um, they're beautiful pieces. I mean, at the end of the day, you're designing these products. They are beautiful. They're comfortable. They're what these women have been looking for. Yeah, I, I tell people all the time I actually don't even sell a bra. Um, I, I sell them a little piece of their life before cancer mm-hmm. and a little piece oh, of their journey that. moving forward. Yeah, because I, I think I just saw my new favorite T-shirt on your website, Rock What You Got, the gray one <laughs> that looks it looks like you wear it with your boyfriend jeans. Totally. So I'm getting us each one. They're gorgeous. Oh, good. Oh, good. Get your whole <laughs> office. All, all the donations the whole, yeah. go to Jill's Wish. There you go. <laughs> there you right. go. The whole foundation. Um, but I have some exciting um, up, up and coming things on the horizon. I, I met with a, a radiation oncologist from Kaiser Permanente. Her name is Dr. Katie Deming. She actually designed uh, several underwear pieces for women that had undergone radiation therapy and, and the skin sensitivity that happens um, mm-hmm. as you're going through the process. She designed them a few years ago, but kind of hit a, a roadblock, and her and I got introduced, and I just loved her product. I loved her idea. I loved what what she stood for, and um, so we're launching a special collection under the Anna Ono label called Yay. the Make Mary Collection. Nice, Ooh. And nice. yeah, it's, it's launching next April, and um, get this, it's beautiful and comfortable. Yes. So women can really feel like themselves as they're going into the doctor's office every day to get their radiation oh, therapy. that's awesome. Mm, that's so I'm fantastic. really excited. About that, I can't and, wait to see him. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll send you a sneak peek, and um, and then I also uh, I'm launching a recovery wear line for women after um, post mastectomy, and uh, all of these women will just complain and complain about their their drains after a surgery, and, and it is mm-hmm. probably the most unattractive time in your entire life. Mm. And I, I won't expand on it now because I don't have time. But let me just tell you, I lived in a turquoise ruffly robe because it was the only thing my mother could find at Marshall's on such late notice once we realized that I was not lifting my arms above my head for for weeks to come with a surgical bra and drain. So I'm going to help you fix that problem. Yeah. I can't wait to see the new designs. (laughs) Um, Fantastic. Dana, thank you so much for coming in this afternoon. I can't wait to see where you go. Thank you. Can't wait to meet you in person. Thanks, Dr. Dupree. (laughs) Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great day. That's it, everybody. Have a great week.